Hello and welcome to episode three of the Spirit of Life in Ibiza podcast. Today's guest is Richard Stokes, who decided to quit his corporate job as an advertising executive with the world's biggest marketing firm when he realized that he was losing his mojo. To reconnect with his mojo, he decided to retrain as a life coach and move to Ibiza, where he set up his own business, Mojo Development, to help both individuals and businesses grow. Following on from the great success of his business, he is now hosting the Mojo podcast so that other brave and fascinating people can share their Mojo stories in a bid to inspire others to make the change that they need in their life. We are sat here today at Newblau Beach, recharging our mojos as the sun shines down upon us. This beautiful and quiet beach is located between Santa Eulalia and Escanar and is surrounded by palm trees and crystal clear waters. There is a coastal walk from here which takes you to Calamartina, one of the island's most popular windsurfing beaches. A surefire way for anyone to recharge their mojo. So welcome Richard and thank you for suggesting the beach for today's location. I'm very happy about that. It's not bad is it? And um, you mentioned the coastal walk. We've, I guess we started part of it because we, we, we met at the beach and then walked around a bit to this headland and it was a bit more of a, a mission than we suspected but I think we've been rewarded with an amazing view down back onto the beach and just the sound of the waves in the background so yeah it's lovely. And Ibiza's not a bad place to do location podcasts, is it? I think it's an exceptional place to do location podcasts when you've got, what, is, what do they say, 300 days of sun a year. And I, I think that maybe is a conservative <laughs> statement, actually. I think there might be more. No, it's lovely. Um, I mean, the nature here is one of the things that drew my wife and I to the island in the first place. We weren't really kind of the, the, the party people. Um, although we like to from time to time but the reason we've always come here for holidays is is the nature and the you know the just the quality of the crystal water the the pine laden mountains and um, that's why we chose and now choose to call it home and it's lovely and so yes um, so you actually uh, you lost your mojo in in the UK and I'm assuming you've very very much found it since you've been back in Ibiza yeah you know the process of um I've lost my mojo many times, by the way, in life. But the most most recent, I think, that, that led to the move um, to Ibiza and moving to running my own business. It was a kind of a slow and gradual one. And I think it happens in very different ways to different people. Um, but really, it was, um, you know, I see my mojo as kind of my energy. And when my mojo is, is, is high and strong, my energy is flowing. I just feel great. I'm making decisions really easily I'm less worried about what um, other people may be thinking I have less of that self-talk that gremlin that might go on your head Um, so just bit by bit though I was losing kind of the joy of what I was doing and I have you know I've had a very enjoyable 20 plus years in in advertising agencies in in the UK and doing UK based jobs and global jobs I've traveled an awful lot met and worked with some f- wonderful people um, but it kind of just got to the point where it wasn't quite enough and um, you know when you're doing a, a, a corporate job and especially when it's global you travel a lot you're spending an awful lot of time kind of on the road working away from home and as I said it wasn't quite enough for me um, but I thought about so what it what would be enough for me what do I want to do and that's a tough question uh, to, to put to yourself and actually you know I've 
said I've retrained as a as a coach and I had access to a, a coach thankfully with my previous company and what the you know some of the best advice she gave me was really focus on what is bringing you joy what is it that is making you jump out of bed every morning rush into work or get on that plane around the world um, and for me it was always helping to develop people and that could be through training and I did lots of training for our for our business uh, working with my immediate team as, as more of a mentor and a, a coach to them so I thought that's kind of where I want to be and how do I do that um, and bit by bit you know I guess opportunities presented themselves to me and, and you can be in a in a mindset where you close off those opportunities and I've been there a lot in life um, but more so I was more open to opportunity and a a um, executive coaching course was made available to me to to uh, to get on with quite short notice actually um, and you know it was funded by me and I just thought yeah I've I've seen huge benefit in being coached I would love to learn those skills and I don't know how I'm going to manifest that and, and pass those skills on, but I want to have those skills. So I, I chose to do that. And bit by bit, as the course went on, I gained more confidence in it, worked with more people. And I thought, this, no, this is actually what I want to do. This is what I'd love to base my business, whatever that looks like, around. And, and so be it, I did. And very much at the same time, my wife and I had been having, a, you know, actually a two-year-long conversation about, where exactly did we want to live um london as was home one wonderful city i think one of the world's great cities so much going on so dynamic but also quite exhausting sometimes and as i said we were just drawn back to this place abitha where we spent a lot of holidays and just with the calmness the stillness of it with thought maybe maybe it's there and all these things came together and uh, we've been here um, about a year and a half now, and it's wonderful. No regrets. No regrets. No. I mean, you know, it's you sort of have to pinch yourself sometimes. Um, it, it isn't like living in a dream, or it can feel like that. You, you, you are. We are very mindful of what we're doing to make our life here work, because it doesn't just get handed to you on a plate. Um, you know, we lots of things we have to put in place. Um, you know, my, my wife has found a fantastic job at a great school here um i've developed my business and but you know if i don't go out and find uh contracts and work we don't get paid and we can't pay our rent and the dream ends right so it's pretty it's pretty fundamental so we keep working on it um but i think when you're mindful like that on on what you're doing and why you're doing it it becomes a lot simpler yeah absolutely and i just want to go back and actually to something you said earlier from your the life coach that you had um, what great advice. Just do what makes you happy. It's, it's the most simple and basic advice that there is, yet we have such a hard time doing it, don't we? I think it's, it's not given by everybody. Because the, the thing that um, what a coach does, a coach um, has no judgment and a coach has no agenda. So that is why that coach could say that to me. Now, my, my boss at work, and I've had some fantastic bosses, quite hard for them to say just do what makes you happy because there was a whole lot of other work I maybe didn't make me quite so happy that needed to be done and I understand that um but that's yeah that's the position that the coach um can take and then so it's been offered that advice then it's also accepting it because uh, believe me a few years ago I'd have gone yeah I know what you mean but and I'd have found some excuses 
put some barriers in the way that I kind of still have to keep doing this work. I've very one of my core values is is hard work and also loyalty. I've got a great employer and I need to be loyal to them. But then you also need to work out what's what's working for you, what's important for you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with us. And would you mind giving us like a um, you know a bit of a breakdown of exactly what a life coach would do for a person? Yeah. So, um, I mean, everyone comes into coaching. I mean, I guess from different angles. Um, some people will come via their employer, and it it, it's, it could be very much it's a, a work based development that needs to go on. Other people will maybe self fund and seek out a life coach, and it's um, you know it could be a, a relationship challenge. It, it could be a, a wider career challenge. It could be how I'm living. It could be it could be there's this marathon I want to do, and I just can't seem to get round to making time to get it done it can be very very specific and actually when you have a a specific goal in mind I think that's a really really good time uh, for coaching I, I personally when I first worked with my coach I was uh, a bit goalless actually um, and she had to do a lot of work with me to get to some kind of right this is where you want to get to and ended up being a Ibiza and setting up my own business but so having that a sense of this is what I'm trying to do I just need some support and and that's what coaching can be it's fantastic as i said non non-judgment based no agenda based support to help you achieve your goals um through and a lot of those goals come from a fantastic amount of self-awareness because really what you're doing is you're talking about yourself and for some of us me included that's quite uncomfortable actually i'm a listener not a talker this is this is quite strange for me right now doing all this well talk. thank you for agreeing to do it in that case oh, this, this, i'm enjoying <laughs> I'm it i'm challenging you i'm enjoying it no it's good for me um but you, you have to get very comfortable with thinking about yourself uh, your values your motivations your strengths um but you know a coach will do it in an environment that makes you feel as i say very comfortable very safe um a coach will build fantastic rapport with the, the client that they're working with um, and that rapport by the way that can mean okay where's the best place for you to, for us to have this conversation you know a lot of these conversations might happen in a meeting room in an office I've had some of the best sessions I've ever done actually walking with someone side by side because there's a load of things going on there um, you're actually not uh, some people don't like uh, direct eye contact when they're really thinking deeply about themselves um, and the act of walking because there's bilateral movement and it's activating both sides of the brain stimulates lots of new thinking so you get to some amazing places and that's you know that's what coaching is it's the best thinking that you can do because you're thinking out loud you're not keeping those thoughts in well thank you well as you're sharing that with me you know I'll, I'll tell you what exactly what's running through my mind right now why aren't we doing this in schools why are we waiting for adulthood when there's already so many there's so much, you know, so much that we then have to work through and strip back. If we had life coaches at schools to really help with, you know, people to, children to understand what their goals are and where they want to go in life. Um, unfortunately, the way our schools are set up currently, and I really hope to see it change in the future, but it's very much about being good at something, being good at maths, being good at science, being good at English. 
Um, and if your if your gifts and talents lay elsewhere, they're often not nurtured, or you're you're told that that's that's not a good enough gift because it not in so many words, but you know you, you, you we're trained to make money. This is the thing, obviously, of course, that's the way our society is. We need to go out and make money. But then that what happens when we go to the schooling system is that these the children are kind of being set up to go out and earn money. So any gifts that come through that are deemed as not strong money makers will be pushed aside whilst you're then told to be get better <laughs> English math, maybe get a tutor. And of course, what happens that, you know, sometimes our um, parents like trying to do the best for their children will maybe pay for a tutor in one of these subjects. Um, so the more time they're spending on trying to be average at something that they're maybe not as good at, they're spending less time on being incredible at the thing that they are good at. So we end up developing very average children instead of a child who is magnificent at something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, for me, I feel it would be amazing to just have a coach in there who really works to get to, to, get to the bottom of what is it that's making this child tick. Um, I know it's difficult because money is still a thing, but I do believe that if you're really passionate about something, really passionate and you get up every day and we've spoken about mojo here today um, and you get up every day and you've got the mojo for life you've got the mojo for what it is you're doing that passion for what you're doing I think you can make money out of that it might not be you know a banker's wage but I, I think you can do a really job really good job of getting by and if you do something you're passionate about you don't necessarily have to be grounded in an office you could be traveling the world doing it so there's there's so many more options that we don't explore and it's beautiful that you're doing this job now and you're helping people to explore it but wouldn't it be amazing if we explored it earlier on oh i absolutely agree with everything you're saying i mean i wish and from a very personal level i wish i'd had some of that guidance when i was at the, you know those formative stages um and you make some, you make some big decisions don't you quite early on in life about which subjects am i good at you know i.e how am i doing in exams that's what we mean by that really um, and by, you know, I guess it's the age of 13 or 14, certainly in the UK education system, you've made some fundamental decisions about which way you're going. And that could be languages, sciences, in or out. Um, and then what about all those other, um, those other subjects that we place less value on, as you were saying? Um, why can't we bring some more of, more of those in? So, yeah, from a personal level, I think that would have been great personally for me. Um, and creating more access to um, guidance somehow in in the school system would be would be fabulous. I'm a, I actually um, so I mentioned my wife works here in Ibiza in a in a school. Uh, so the school's called Universal Mandela. It is kind of it sits beautifully between Western philosophy and Montessori, the Montessori system, which is a the child led approach to education, which I'm sure some people, lots of people, will be familiar with. And I'm a very big supporter of that kind of schooling system. Yeah. And then the Eastern philosophy, essentially based in Buddhism, and it and it meets in, in in the middle. And what I love about it is there is you know, there, the, these kids. So the, the, right now, this school goes up to um, I think six in time here in Ibiza. It will go up to twelve, but the the lessons are not labelled as maths and English and or reading and writing or anything like that. Um, but the children are absolutely doing all of those skills and learning those skills but they're also learning how to listen how to share they're learning patience and you get how can patience be taught it absolutely can be when it's when it's focused on 
They're learning how to celebrate each other's successes. They're learning to be brave um, when they're making certain decisions. They're learning to forgive each other because you know these are these are little kids, and sometimes they need to do a bit of that. Um, and they they're learning how to ask for help. What amazing life skills right there that these kids are getting that I don't know how many of us got that either consciously or subconsciously, formally or informally at school or, or from parents. And I'm sure a lot of this does come from parents and it comes through in values, but maybe it doesn't. And that's a big risk when it doesn't come through. So I'm, yeah, I'm all for more guidance somehow in earlier on in the education system, whether that's you know, coaching or... Or, or guidance or you know the, the teachers in schools maybe having some of the training that I had um, in, in in how to coach and I know listeners I know teachers sorry they're amazing listeners because that, that's what I do they're fabulous at it um, I think just given maybe a bit more time during the pressures of the curriculum to, to really listen to have those conversations with kids would be would be really powerful makes me really happy just hearing that um, you know that your wife's working in a school like that that there are schools like that around um, it's something for myself long term I actually plan to set up a, a school in an orphanage somewhere in South or Central America and that's the kind of philosophy I want to bring in one of the main things for the for the school that I, that I would like to develop or build is to keep children connected to themselves because what we do in our in our current schooling system is disconnect them from from who they actually are because we we have this if you're not good at this then you're not good enough if you're not like that person then you're not good enough and we kind of I feel we we strip not just the schools I I felt you know I don't want to um sound like I'm launching an attack on schools here um because schools are just working within the function the normal function of the society that we have built um and obviously it happens at home it happens in so many different ways but we do strip children away from their individuality and we try to we, we we make children be like everybody else instead of being you know who they really are and you know i feel a little bit like we set children up to fail at school because we go into subjects where um instead of exploring their natural gifts and we we have as i've already said you need to be good at english you need to be good at maths so we set up a system where we actually teach children to compete against each other which is why what you were saying before, I really like the fact what you were saying is you, um, they're teaching children to forgive, to understand, to have patience. But we're actually currently teaching children to compete, to, to feel good about somebody else's failure. And if we just allowed children to be the individuals that they actually are and express the way that they, you know, to express who they actually are in the way that they feel they want to express, no child could fail because how do you fail at being you? Um, you know, you, you, you can't fail at being you. Well, that being said, we do fail at being ourselves in, in, in the current system because we actually aren't given permission to be ourselves. But if you really just connect to being you and allow yourself to be you, there is no way that you can fail. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to compete against anybody else. You wouldn't want to be better than anyone else at anything. You just simply strive to be the best possible version of yourself. So that's the kind of school system that I would like to see. And I think what you're saying is it, it, it's exactly of the moment, actually. Because, you know, when, when you talk about, um, you know, we, we're training our kids to be competitive. Because people say, well, life's competitive. You know, there are uh, not enough jobs for everybody, not enough money to go around. Well, actually, the, 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 where our kids are now, the jobs that they'll eventually do don't even exist yet. So how can you say 
they don't there won't be enough of them um, exactly what you said right at the beginning you know how, why are we training teaching kids in a, in a certain way that's quite linear when those we don't even know what they're going to be doing so we have to be a bit more general about you know how we're guiding them and you know some of those values that I I talked about um, there's a brilliant author called Simon Sinek who's got a new book out um, or relatively recently called The Infinite Mindset and that's exactly about what you're talking about it's not about um, having winners and losers um, but it's about understanding there's plenty to go around and it's just how you get your head around that and how you work and you know he's written numerous books and he backs it all up there's all great examples of companies and people that operate in that way so it's all true um, so yeah uh, you know, somehow the education system needs to need to catch up now it sounds like an interesting book definitely one that I need to read and just going back to what you were saying there if the you know if there's not enough jobs and not enough money to go around we're training children to go do the same jobs to chase the same to chase the same dream to chase the same jobs to chase chase the same money so if we actually allow children to do the things that they love um, and be more creative more stuff would just more more roles more jobs more whatever would just naturally be created by being more diverse in the way that we're we're doing things in the first place i think that exactly that that area of creativity is i think i was going to pick one thing that is is crushed out of children unfortunately at school it's creativity because creativity generally equals art and the, and those kind of subjects i was terrible at art at school and i still can't really draw but i am creative but there was no outlet for that really uh, for me and this is a long time ago admittedly and things have probably moved on a bit but i i, I still think there's for some reason you know adults come out of being youngsters and the joy of play has absolutely gone and so if you look at the workplace there is no play in the workplace it's not considered the right thing to do but play is creative and out of that creativity comes amazing thinking abundant thinking that as you said takes you to new areas of opportunity um, and new revenue streams frankly let's put ROI on it that creativity does equal great return on investment yeah, we just need to be a little bit more open-minded about it, really, don't we? Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, DJing is a huge industry, um, but you certainly wouldn't have been taught to be a DJ at school. And what I also find, you know, there's, there's, there's two different avenues. There's the, there's the stress and frustration of exams, because what happens with exams is, for, personally, I believe an exam situation is it's how good you are at retaining and then regurgitating taught information. It's not thinking outside the box. It's not being creative, as you just mentioned. It's not looking for other answers or other perspectives on, on the way we dealt with history, for example. With, with history, we're taught history. We're taught the facts of history, usually from the winner's point of view. Instead of having that kind of um, is it lateral thinking where you'd maybe show both views in a classroom and then have the, have the children talk about these different options what would you have done differently how could we have changed the outcome of that how could we have stopped ourselves going for more really think it because that, that kind of thinking is what stops us doing it going forward right but so you have you have this very um the pressure of the pressure of exams which i'd like to come back to shortly mm. but you also have we're, we're measuring intelligence by the regurgitation of information that's taught and we have many children therefore believing if they don't do well under exam pressure or don't 
um, aren't able to regurgitate that or hold that information, but they therefore aren't intelligent. So we're measuring intelligence by memory and the ability to be able to handle the pressure of an exam. In actual fact, intelligence comes in so many different forms and intelligence can be very, very creative. But like you just said, we don't have that outlet. And as I mentioned earlier, DJs, DJs are a big thing. Like a DJ is actually quite a revered, revered um, job. Like there's lots of people who want to be a DJ. Everybody loves a DJ. They seem to make quite a lot of money. If we were going to boil it down to that, <laughs> they do. They make money. They have a great time. They travel yeah. the world. Yeah. They get the girl. If, if we were talking from a masculine point of view, you know, um, they've they've got they've got a lot going on. But that's not something that's developed in um, in a school. And I just I'm, I'm just using that as one example. It's certainly something that in the orphanage and the school that I set up, I want to I want to bring that in. And um, you know, not not, not just DJ. I want to bring so many different things in and I, I, I guess the argument that would come back is you know how can a school support or afford so many different subjects or so many different um, avenues but there are there's we've got the internet now so there's so many online classes that you can do and you know if if you said to a, a DJ I'm using this as an example hey you know would you be up for coming in and giving giving our class a bit of a lesson and just a, at least allowing them to feel for it and then you could find out okay well there's actually 20 kids who'd love to do this I, Let's I do think that's the key I, th- I think there's a, exposing kids to just as much stuff as you possibly can they get soak it all up and they'll have a very they'll get an affinity with that that's there's something about this that I really like I'm not really sure what it is or why it is but I like it and then they have the opportunity to go off and um, get into it further, right? So I think I think there are a lot of people. I'm sure, and I'm sure this does happen in some really good schools that people in the community are asked to come in. Could you showcase what you do? Could you come in and talk about what you do, so that you know the kids coming through the school aren't just thinking about, well, here are the, the standard professions. Here's what my parents do, and that's kind of my frame of reference. It really is about expanding that frame of reference for what opportunity looks like. And, you know, you used the word intelligence earlier. I think it's emotional intelligence, isn't it? That's what, again, oh, can that be taught? Yes, it can be taught if it's focused on. All those those principles and values I talked about at my wife's school, that is emotional intelligence. Um, so with those things coming together, you know, the, the access to opportunity and more emotional intelligence, uh, I think schooling looks a lot brighter and and future focused future ready that's what we're that's the purpose of education at the end of the day yeah because emotional in, in, emotional intelligence is what our society needs to be based on and unfortunately we are lacking a lot of it and so then we complain about the issues that we have in society but if our basic ground our basic foundations of the schooling system aren't preparing people to go into society i i, I feel we, we end up creating these broken children because we're we're, we're pulling them from the, the true identity of who they are. We're not allowing them to express in the way that they want to. They get frustrated. They, you know, we, I, th- th- there's a whole avenue of things that happen, but we create these broken children and then we send them out to an already broken society and expect them to function. And the, the, the society that we're living in isn't functioning to uh, you know, a high degree. It's not functioning the way that it should be functioning. Um, and I really do believe that, of course, parents are you know an integral part of that but you know all parents have different ideas and if we have a schooling system that can really come together and 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 just allow these children just to be who they are I just think it's the I think I've I've said it a few times now we need to let these children be who they are but it is the the most integral part of everything if we are if we don't feel that we can be who we are 
if we feel that we have to be somebody else if we feel that we have to compete with somebody else to be better than them to make ourselves feel whole how can we expect to ever really um you know live a live a happy life how can we expect to function in in, yeah. in society yeah fit, fitting in is hard isn't it i mean i think i think probably most kids at some point feel they have to try and fit in um and then that perpetuates because then you fit in into a corporate environment you fit into your friend group um and it and it goes on and on and, and it's a real shame when people feel they can't be themselves um and that is such a a waste of potential when you're not being yourself it takes a lot of energy as well having that mask or whatever however you want to describe it of, of being somebody else God, it's exhausting so when you can actually be a bit freer uh, and be yourself then it's great and honestly this is i can only say this is me in the last probably five or six years so i'm really feeling like i'm being myself and i put a lot of those masks on too um so yeah m- more of that more of that and it's exactly the same for me i mean i used um I used drugs for a long time when I was younger um, as a way of escaping from from all of that because I just I just didn't know who I was. I was so disconnected. I didn't know what was real and, and I lived behind, absolutely lived behind this mask and it's taken me many, many years to, um, to, to remove that mask. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I have to say like having done it, it's a lot of hard work doing it because this is, a, this is the thing, as adults trying to undo all of the work all of the all of the negative connotations that have happened trying to undo all that is hard work you have to really face yourself and we don't want to face ourselves because we don't even we've lied to ourselves for so long you know we've lied to everybody else saying that we're something that we're not but we've made we've, we've lied to ourselves as well and trying to face the reality of who we are warts and all can be really really hard to do um but once you've done it it's it's, it's a beautiful experience and it's part of the journey it's part of um it's part of our soul's evolution if you like it's, it's the journey that we're going through but i think as consciousness is shifting now like there is this really powerful shift and as it's happening i think what we what we now need to see is a way of like allowing the soul to step into who they are from an, from an early stage allowing themselves to be nurtured allowing allowing them to you know to really be true to who they are because if can you imagine if a child is allowed to do that from an early age the power that they would hold the power to be themselves the 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 gifts the strength of the gifts that they would have because i know with my gifts i've said for a long time when i worked as a stockbroker i used to say i have no gifts and i have no talents i'm good at my job and that's it but actually what's happened since leaving my job and my creativity has now been able to flourish I mean, it, it was my, my creativity had dwindled to next to nothing when I was when I was working but as it's been able to flourish I'm discovering more and more gifts that I didn't even know I had but when I actually look back to my childhood I actually was very gifted as a child I was born gifted and I'm saying this not as a as an egotistical thing because I believe this of every child I was born gifted and my parents did my, my parents did actually really um, try to nurture my gifts. They took me to a lot of different outside classes. Mm. Um, so they did try, but I wanted to be like my friends. I wanted to be like everyone yeah, else I wanted to in. do. is fitting yeah. in, exactly. Uh, so I ended up leaving a lot of these things. Um, but, you know, if, if everyone, if, if it was set up so that everybody did this, that everybody explored their gifts individually and naturally and this was accepted and this was good, can you imagine how powerful you would be? 
to have had that gift and explored it and nurtured it and grown it through your whole life. We would be very, very powerful individuals. You're telling me you couldn't make money off of that kind of power? Well, that's it, power potential, fulfilling potential. And that, you know, you asked me about uh, coaching and, what, um, and what, that's, what that's about. It's really about that. So, you know, helping people a bit later in life because, as I said, the education system maybe doesn't help enormously right now, but uh, eventually people get to the point, I think there's something else I should be doing. How can and how can I do that? And and that's a lot of the many of the conversations I have. And I'm not saying it's everyone. It's not quit your job, move to Ibiza. Uh, it it might be that within the organisation you're in, there could be something else that's more for you, that's better for you, or working in a different way, um, finding different ways to look at problems, being more creative. Um, when you've been told that you're not creative from a really young age, it's really hard to get. You actually are. You are, you are very, very capable of, of creative thought and, and just and getting that confidence. And that's a, that's a lot of what I do personally in, in my sessions is about confidence building through people really understanding their strengths. And you talked about gifts as a child and we all got that. And some, some are, uh, are shone upon really brightly and they lead to something, and, and, but many aren't. But we all have strengths uh, and really understanding those and focusing on them and, and trying to turn those strengths into what I call superpowers is a, is a really worthy thing to do because um, then you become really known for those things and, um, and, and you can succeed and then there's economic, if you want to boil it down to that benefit for you and, and maybe even your employer as well. Yeah, and you, uh, I mean, you mentioned creative. We are actually, we are all creative beings um, and you've also mentioned confidence there. And yeah, I think this is the thing is, is again, the way that the system is set up is that we just aren't confident at being us and we're not confident with the, with the gifts and the, and, and the things that we have. But what sort of happens is if those gifts, passions and dreams are taken away from us and this need to make money, we, we start to really lose ourselves and um, we, we start to lose who we are. We lose our connection with source, we lose our connection with self and then we become very, very frustrated. And then we see this... You know, it's definitely a culture in the UK where people go out every night annihilating themselves on drink and drugs because they're so frustrated, so bored, so just done in with the life that they're leading. But people are scared of change. And you also mentioned change earlier. And I know that you mentioned to me previously that you would actually like to see, um, again, as part of the schooling system, the ability to handle change being taught in the schooling system as well. Yeah, I think the ability to handle change comes from uh, literally literally doing it. To make big change, you've got to look at the small ones you've made and understand, again, coming back to confidence, that I, that I can do that. And I think what can happen is you, you can go through life and maybe you haven't had to face too much adversity. A lot of us have, but maybe you haven't. So you haven't been forced to make change. So if you get to a point in your life, maybe you're in your late 30s, your 40s, and you really are forced, uh, this could be a relationship breakdown, this could be redundancy at work, and you have no frame of reference, you have no skills for handling that change, and you have very little confidence for that change. And that's, that's not a great position to be in to try and make the best decisions around that, that situation that you're in. So, and I don't know what the answers are here, but somehow experiences being shared I think I think it's just around talking more and sharing that 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 change does happen it's okay 
it's okay to fail at stuff. Maybe it's around that. Um, and you see, it's kind of interesting. You look at a lot of um, kind of the, 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 the Californian tech companies and they'll talk about fail. And failing's good and fail fast. And that's okay if you're genuinely not judging around that failure. And I'm, the jury's a bit out for me on, on, on some of that. But if, if in, again, can bring it back to the schooling system, that, that maybe not nailing something the first time is seen as okay, that starts to build up a certain resilience. And that starts to help with you understanding around change and the skills that you need to make change. Yeah. And as we talk about change there, I know you've also mentioned to me previously the ladder of fear. Can you explain a little <laughs> bit more about that? So, yes. Um, when faced with, with change, either one we think we want to make or one that's maybe put upon us, humans will have a tendency, some more than others, to catastrophize. Now, what is the worst that can happen rather than what is the best that can happen out of this situation? Um, so there's an exercise that I work with my clients on. Uh, it's not something I invented. It's what a lot of coaches use. This it's called it's called the ladder of fear. And essentially, what you do, you start. You can actually draw a, a ladder out on a piece of paper, and then each rung or step of the ladder is a move towards disaster. And it would start with something like, uh, "Okay, I've seen this job advertised internally at work." I'd really like to go for it, but I'm scared about, you know, failing. And then what I ask my clients to do is, okay, let's, let's step that through. So you apply for the job, you get the job, because you're very qualified for it. You fail at the job. What happens next? Oh, I fail at the job, I made redundant. I made redundant and my, um, my value, my, my, uh, my reputation is kind of shot in the marketplace and no one wants to employ me. I can't get another job. Um, I can't pay my mortgage. Uh, I lose my house. I lose my wife, obviously my children as well. I'm on the street. I become um, a drug addict and I die. Like, oh my God, all from going for a job? And then I, I do ask in that, in that kind of way and, and, and the person might go, yeah, it does sound a bit, maybe a bit far-fetched. But what we do was step through each of those, those steps of the ladder, each of those disasters that flows, and we just talk about the likelihood, the real practical likelihood of that thing happening. And guess what? You tend to be able to debunk each step of that ladder, and you don't get to dying alone in the gutter. Uh, you actually go a different way, and maybe because I'm totally qualified for this job, I've got some great skills and strengths, I'm a massive success at it. But you have to kind of draw that out because it, that is sitting there. That is what's holding us back, this, this, this fear, this ability to catastrophize around a situation. Um, and, yeah, I find it a very, very effective tool. And you, obviously you could do it with a coach. You can do it yourself. You can do it with a friend who's maybe facing up to making a change, making a decision, but is really uncertain about it. And just tease that out with them. Um, and, and you know listen in a very non-judgmental way and without an agenda and then you're coaching that's really helpful it sounds great thank you for sharing that tip with us and yeah fear it's a huge thing it's instilled in every single one of us and I mean I certainly for myself I lived a life of fear for a very very long time um, and I, well, I've, I've learned to walk hand in hand with fear 
rather than um, you know pushing it out altogether. I hope one day it will be gone altogether, but for now it's walking hand in hand. And one of my biggest fears actually was public speaking. So I actually had to be I had to be hypnotised, even to stand in a, a, a room with eight people on a very um, low key public speaking course and just stand and look at the audience and say hi my name's Nyabi. I had to be hypnotized three times for that and here I am holding my own podcast series so you know it's um it's it's I believe it's taking one step at a time because what you were just saying about catastrophizing we look at like the big overall picture or the potential catastrophe of the overall picture I have visions about where my life's going the, the work I'm going to be doing in my life and when I look at the 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 end result vision that I'm seeing it's terrifying I think how am I going to get there but I think it's really important instead of trying to get from A to Z and missing out crucial steps we need just to do let's just take A to B and B to C because at each point it's like a treasure hunt unfolding at each point you get the next clue that takes you to the next the next stage and I think if we can learn to just strip things back and take things one step at a time instead of looking at, you know, the, the whole picture and, and just wondering how. Because life's beautiful. It has a beautiful way of unfolding around us. And we don't, we don't know what's going to unfold until it unfolds. But as I say, at each step, you get new information and a new clue that takes you to the next, to the next part. So, yeah, when people live in fear like this, um, you know, what, what, what do we think happens next? And we only have to look at our society to see what, what fear breeds. Um, it, it breeds contempt. It breeds frustration and disconnection from source. Uh, it breeds the, the need for people to go out and, and get annihilated night, night after night to escape, as I've already mentioned. But we also have a really high suicide rate in our society as well. Um, and men particularly, I think, um, I think a man is um, three times more likely to die from suicide than a woman, um, which would lead to say, you know, that these frustrations aren't necessarily being spoken about. And so this is like you've mentioned this earlier, like there's there's a lot of things that need to change in our society. But until we start talking about it and it's not just talking, it's listening, because I know that there's a lot of times when people just want to shut people up when they're talking and maybe don't listen to what's they don't want to listen to what's been said They're 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 very stuck into the way that our society is. It's always been like this. So therefore it, it should continue like this. And I think we need to start opening up and listening to people's views and people's opinions. Um, but of course, you know, when it comes to suicide, we, we actually need to start listening, creating a supportive environment where people who are having problems, um, maybe functioning in society or pe- people are having problems functioning behind their mask. Maybe we need to create a, a society where or, or a place where people can open up and, and talk about those fears without fear of repercussion or without fear of judgment. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I mean, this is such a desperately sad area uh, to talk about. And, you, and you're right with the stat. And I've heard another one recently about um, suicide's the biggest single killer of men in the UK under 50. The biggest single killer. Uh, and if you, you know if that was heart disease or cancer would be really... I mean, we are. We're trying to tackle those things. And we are trying to tackle suicidal ideation as well um but there's so much more that can be done and and there's great work i think happening in a lot of workplaces now with um with um uh, mental health first aiders you see a lot of companies who are training people up who can have conversations with people who can recognize when someone isn't okay 
and if the organisation understands it's okay not to be okay, and if culturally that can really be understood and is true, um, and I think that has to, like a lot of great culture, has to come from the top. There has to be vulnerability shown by your leadership to say, you know, sometimes I'm not okay. Um, and to talk about stories in their lives. Um, you know, I've lost three really good friends to suicide. And two at a very similar time. It was, you know, we were talking about exams earlier. This was actually university exam times and finals. And all that pressure, and you're 21, 22, you've had, you know, maybe you've had a, this amazing three years of experience at university. It's coming to an end. And as you said, you're having to regurgitate all the information that you've learned in that time. And it's incredibly stressful. And yeah, two of my friends chose to take their lives um, at that time when the exam results weren't what they wanted them to be. Um, and I just think it's just just so desperately sad. Uh, and talking masks, I was, I was with one of them, Mark, the day before. The day before. I had absolutely no sense and was I a mental health first aider no I wasn't could could I have spotted some signs I don't know I asked myself that question an awful lot I have to say um and I'd hope now I could spot that um and then more recently another um friend I used to work with different circumstances um but you know with a family a young family uh, on the surface of it uh, a successful job and he's very very good at his job and decided it it wasn't enough and um, yeah just awful just awful yeah it certainly is very sad and I'm sorry that you've um, you've lost so many people to, to you know what I, I, effectively it's a disease it's a disease of our society um, in actual fact according to the World Health Organization one person dies every 40 seconds from suicide and that is apparently improved statistics one every 40 seconds God. and as well also according to the world health organization um, suicide is most prevalent the highest rates are actually in high income countries mm. yeah. which again just shows the, the pressures that yeah. are being put on yeah. on people uh, to be something that they're not to perform in a way that they're that, that they don't necessarily want to perform in but they feel that that's what they have to do and I couldn't help but think when you were talking about your friend who um, you know who committed suicide after the exam results and all I kept thinking was I bet he was this there was so much creativity in him that was unrealized because everything's on the exam pressure and and, and mm. you know tr performance and trying to make money yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, both of those those guys, you know, when, when it was at that, that stage at post-university, um, both massively into music. I could just kind of foresee the kind of industries that have got into the, 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 the work they would have created. It would have been very, very different probably from what they were studying, frankly, because um, that didn't really define them. But, um, you know, they talked about the, just the expectation of society. And this is, you know, this is over 20 years ago now. So I really hope and I do think some things have moved on. But unfortunately, the stats, the stats are still there. And, you know, young men, I said men under 50, are still deciding 
that it's better to end their life than to continue with a life living in a certain way or, or, to, or to make certain change. And uh, it's just desperately sad. Um, but we have to, we, as you say, we have to think of it as a disease and we have to, we have to have the best minds, the best intention people to think, how are we going to change this? How are we going to change this narrative? Because it's not changing right now. No, and I, I really believe that that change in school system could be exactly what we need to, to really help with that. I, pe- I feel like we, you know, I, I mentioned earlier we create broken children and then send them out to a broken society. But so what, what's happening there is we, we all have this void inside of us um, because we're not fulfilling our true potential. We're not being the people we were born to be. We're not expressing our souls in the way that, that we want to. Uh, and then we got caught, we get caught up in this lie, really. Um, so we're walking around with like this void that we're looking to to fill. That void is self-love, because how are we able to love a lie? We're not, you know, we we don't we don't trust ourselves and our, our abilities. We're competing against other people to be to try and be them instead of being the best possible version of ourselves, as I mentioned earlier. And so because we're in, we're trapped in this cycle, it's very very difficult for us to give ourselves self-love. Um, so we end up then looking for love in the arms of another. Uh, this is a very common cycle that, that happens as well. But with that, if, if I'm looking to you to make me happy and to make me feel loved and whole, and you're looking to me to make you feel happy and loved and whole, then how can either of us make each other happy and feel loved? And we'll feel it for a while, of course. I mean, when you first meet someone and you fall in love, everything's inc- incredible. But after a while, you know, it, the cracks on that start to start to form. And it's not necessarily the cracks of the relationship, because it, it, it may be that you got, you know, that, that couple are very much meant to be together. But if, if you're both trying to make the other one happy, it, it's not sustainable for a long period of time. And what... I know this is a tough one to, uh, probably a tough one to hear for people as well, but I think what happens then, like two people then stay together because they, they actually are in love, but then maybe start to look to fill the void by having children. So then the children come in and it's very, it's, it's very difficult. It's not just people looking to fill a void with children. There are people who are very ready to have children as well who bring children in. But if you have not learned to love yourself fully and truly, how can we teach our children to do the same? So then, you know, you can, you can try, <laughs> you can tell them, you can say everything that you feel that you should be saying to them. But children, lead, children follow by example. And so if children see the behaviours and the actions of the parents who are acting from a place that's not, or coming from a place that's not whole, that's not full of self-love, then that child is going to pick up those same behaviours and, and copy that. So it's very, very difficult. And I, I know that when I'm saying this, you know, people are going to be thinking, are you crazy? How do we change that? But we have to start somewhere. And I think the recognition of this, the awareness of this is key. Obviously, there's a, there's a long healing process that comes with this. Um, you know, there's many of us, many, many people in our society who don't love ourselves fully. And I'm, I'm one of them. It's taken me a long time to, to, to feel that love for myself. I'm, I'm getting there. It's taken me a long time to be able to say, hey, I'm beautiful because I didn't believe that of myself. And I still choke on the words a little bit now. Um, so there is a really long healing process there and I'm not suggesting that everybody just stops having children in the meantime obviously we need children for <laughs> to carry society on but the awareness of it is really really important and as I say we have to start somewhere and 
um, I mentioned earlier going instead of looking at A to Z we just need to need to go A to B and just take that one step at a time but it really is something that we need to think about and we all need to start working on ourselves and that void that we feel within ourselves and hopefully the recognition of where that void comes from will actually help us to take step one to get to at least to A at least to stand up on the point of A um, this is very much what my my book is about and, and I'm not using this as a way to plug my book but uh, these words that come through are words of spirit and what spirit is trying to say there is, is there's a line in it that says every one of you has a gift a gift that will help to heal the rift and so by exploring those gifts that we've spoken about today um, by recognizing what your dreams are what your talents are you, you actually start to naturally heal yourself because to walk the path towards your dream is to walk the path that heals you. Um, so if we can start doing that naturally, like slowly, slowly, step by step, we do start to, we will start to um, inflict those changes. And by inflicting those changes, we start to then feel the love. And then when we feel that love for ourselves, we're then able to pass that on to our children, who then hopefully by that time are going into a schooling system that is supporting and nurturing that. Um, so yeah, it's it's simple changes yet not simple because it's hard work but it's a simple awareness that I think can start this this change and this shift of consciousness that's happening at the moment I think will support that and I think that 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 change we will start to ride the waves of that change but part of the reason I'm doing these podcasts is really just to help people to to, to really inspire people just to think a little bit more about the changes that we can make rather than just living by the rules that society has currently or has always inflicted upon us. So, yeah, any, um, any final thoughts? Well, I'm just sitting there nodding my head an awful lot, which no one could obviously see when it's a podcast. But, yeah, just great words, great thoughts. I, I just, you know, all changes that are worth making uh, take a little doing. But you know that the first step is is the most meaningful and then you take another step and another step. So, yeah, um, you know, it's been great chatting um, about it all. And I think, yeah, just if it provides anybody with just some inspiration about, I can actually maybe live my life a little differently. I can think about things in a, a slightly different way and that's more true to me, then that's a great thing. It really is, isn't it? And like you said earlier, it's not not everybody is going to pack up their life and move to Ibiza or across the country. Um, but it's just it's just bringing those small little things back into back into people's lives, and it's it's that one step thing again. But just bringing that one piece of joy, that one thing that makes your soul sing, back into your life, and that you know that, that from 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 one piece of happiness, the next the next unfolds. And energy is contagious. Um, you know, you bring that one that one little thing of joy back into your life, and then the next one rolls, and the next one roles and and suddenly you look back and think wow why didn't I do this sooner quite frankly um but yeah so thank you so much Richard for coming and being my guest today oh it's been an absolute pleasure sit here in the sun have a nice chat well it's a nice chat more than a nice chat a really meaningful conversation so thank you for uh, inviting me it's been great and uh thank you once more for suggesting the beach because it's been truly beautiful um so yeah uh tune in next time guys thanks very much